This is Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Hello, and welcome to Dialogue Gospel Study for March 14th, 2021. We're excited to be talking about selections from Doctrine and Covenants 23 through 28 with Melody Newey Johnson today. I'm Rebecca DeSchweinitz, and along with fellow Dialogue uh, Foundation board members Chris Kimball and Michael Austin, I'm happy to welcome you all. We have at least 50 of you who figured out the time change, but we know that uh, this time of year causes a little bit of confusion. Um, but, but moving forward, know that we are always at, at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, whatever that may be. Those with us live on Zoom this morning are welcome to post respectful and relevant comments and questions in the chat as always. I'll also keep track of what folks have to say on Facebook where we are also live. We look forward to integrating your comments and questions into today's lesson. We're thrilled uh, to have Melody Newey Johnson teaching today. Melody works as a certified nurse case manager for University of Utah Health. Her decades long nursing career has provided a rich environment for her foundational commitment toward understanding and improving the human condition. A writer and poet with numerous, numerous works published in anthologies and literary journals, including dialogue, Melody's first full-length poetry manuscript, and Imperfect Roundness, was published in 2020 by our friends at BCC Press. She is past poetry editor for Exponent 2 and current poetry editor for Segula. She's the creator of Living Well, Retreat to Self, a writing retreat for women, she lives in Salt Lake City with her spouse and best friend, Jeff Johnson. Together, they have six children and 10 grandchildren. Dialogue, as you know, is committed to providing a space for the expression of diverse perspectives and for some of the faith's most vibrant thinking. We are incredibly thankful for Melody's thoughtful and prayerful preparation, perspective, and voice today. As is always the case, the views expressed are those of the individual teacher and do not necessarily reflect those of the Dialogue Foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or any other organization. If you missed any of our previous lessons, they are all available as podcasts or videos and linked at dialoguejournal.com, where you can also find the entire 50 plus years of the journal with all of its amazing poetry and art and personal essays, fiction, sermons, and scholarship. Today's lesson we anticipate will be added to the others by the end of the day. We also invite you to make a contribution in support of the mission and ongoing work of Dialogue. There's a subscribe and donate link uh, on our website. Also, uh, make sure to follow us on all of the social media channels, including our latest. Uh, we're now on TikTok, thanks to our fabulous uh, social media team. We begin today with music, One Voice, written by Ruth Moody, performed by the Wayland Jennings, which includes Ruth Moody. After the music, our opening prayer will be offered by Lisa Butterworth, who is a mental health counselor who specializes in faith and sexuality. She is the founder of Feminist Mormon Housewives. Later in the lesson, we'll have a chance to enjoy In Humility, Our Savior, with text by Mabel Jones-Gabbett, music by Ronald H. Pritchard, and performed by Fiddlesticks. At the end, we will close, as is fitting for a lesson focused on Emma Smith, with more music, an arrangement of Amazing Grace by Dialogue's art director and board member Andy Pritchard-Davis. It was recorded by Andy, Miriam Stay, and Kristen Washburn-Juarez in the Kirkland Temple. 
Dr. Andrea Radke-Moss uh, will uh, then offer our closing prayer. Uh, Dr. Uh, Radke-Moss is a professor of history at Brigham Young University in Idaho. Her research and teaching centers on the American West and US women's history, including really important work on Mormon women's history. A return missionary, prize-winning scholar and resilient fighter, she lives in Rexburg, Idaho with her husband and two children. May we please feel the wonder towards things beyond our understanding. Let us feel meaning and purpose where our agency can have an effect. And let us be peace peaceful in the many things beyond our grasp. Give us faith in that thy benevolence, our core needs may be met. Help us to grow more curious of our unseen advantages. Help us to overcome the desire to elevate ourselves above others. And help us to long, no longer carry the wounds made by those to, who seek to elevate themselves above us. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for that beautiful prayer, Lisa. Thank you to everyone for being here today, um, for uh, listening to that music together. I felt the lyrics to this music, um, which for those who will be watching this recording later, it's worth your time to, to watch this video and listen for yourselves. The lyrics are very characteristic of the restoration period of the imagery of gathering together from many places, many sects, many um, beliefs, many types of people coming together to, to form a new church and um, to live the restored gospel. I think it's also a beautiful message for us today. I'd like to thank the, the dialogue board for creating this space and helping to maintain it and for everyone who's taken the time to attend. Um, thank you for your prayers today. Um, also, I'd like to acknowledge anyone among us who has been touched by the pandemic in ways that were um, devastating to them. In addition to the global difficulty that we each face right now, I, I want to acknowledge that and to just thank you for, for your, your kindness and support in the community. And I grieve with you if you're experiencing losses. We will be reviews, reviewing section 25 I um, chose to narrow this, this section down to just section 25 rather than the surrounding sections of the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. We'll be specifically focusing on Emma Smith um, because it's Women's History Month. I felt like this was a lovely thing to do and a good time to do it. Given the content of the revelation and uh, the many avenues that we could follow in our discussion, I would like to really stay focused on Emma and her life. And um, if, if you feel compelled to go in another direction, I, I'm happy to walk a little way down that path and then we'll just bring it back to Emma. Um, I would also like to ask for those who tend to stay quiet, if, if something occurs to you that you really wanna share, but 
you're not typically one to share, I would encourage you to do it because I have found in my experience that often the, uh, the deep thinkers, the quiet people who, who don't comment sometimes have really wonderful things to contribute. So if you're one of the shy among us, feel free to share your voice when the opportunity arises. Um, we'll pause at times to respond to questions and we'll just kind of go with the flow and see how that all works. The questions that I posed for myself and for this lesson are inclusive of the idea, who is Emma Hale Smith? Who is she to us individually and to the church collectively? Um, in context of the revelation, what does it mean to be meek? What is meekness? And why does this word appear three times in this revelation? I'd also like to touch on the importance of the fact that Emma was tasked with creating um, and curating hymnal for us and um, metaphors about individual and collective voices and the beauty of music in our lives. I also would like to touch on ideas of authority and equity for Emma and also, you know, for us today, the question that came up as I was reading this section was, you know, does ordain mean ordain? Um, who wants that? Who needs it? Who doesn't? Um, some other random questions that came to my mind. <laughs> Why are there so many um, couples of men in religious history that get things done like um, Heavenly Father and Christ are the creators of the world. Um, Aaron and Moses were kind of a couple. Jesus and John the Baptist, Jesus and the disciples, Joseph and Oliver, Joseph and Hiram. And that was just a question that came up for me. Why isn't this um, the companionships of a marriage that are forefront in these stories. Um, and then the other thing I'm hoping, and again, this is not new to most of the people in the dialogue community, but I'm hoping that we can each examine our own biases that favor the idea of men in positions of religious authority and leadership um, over over women and that women are wonderful at behind the scenes and that's a great place for them to stay. Um, and then maybe just ask ourselves what we might do personally if we feel called to help um, change the story there. Okay, I'd like to begin. And again, this would be much easier if we were in person, but I want to try it in this setting with a little uh, group participation. And what I'd like to ask for you to do is, um, thank you, Michael, for slide number two, is to um, spontaneously answer this question with the first word or the first couple of words that come to your mind and send your response, if possible, just to me so that the whole group doesn't see your response. Um, again, technology is funny. Do it how you will, but just your first impression, the first word that pops into your mind when the question is asked, who is Emma Smith? Send it in the chat and we'll listen to a little bit of music for a couple of minutes while you send your responses. 
Um, and Michael, thanks for playing this music for us. Wow. Thank you so much for your responses. I'm going to hold on to these and we will come back to them later. <laughs> um, that, that was beautiful and um, powerful. Thank you again for the music. Um, Emma is and was many things. And I feel very, very honored to be able to talk about her today. So I would like to go ahead and read the section in its entirety, following which Andrea will make a few comments and following her, Lisa will make a few comments. I've asked Andrea to kind of help contextualize the time period and what it was like for women and, and Emma in particular, possibly in the 19th century. And um, Lisa will um, touch on 
uh, dynamics in a marriage, specifically when you have a marriage where there's a very strong man, um, very charismatic and important in the community and um, what might happen in a marriage in a situation like that. So, so um, section 25, the text as follows. Um, Um, of course, this is given at Harmony, Pennsylvania, um, July 1830. This is weeks after the official organization of the church in April. Um, Joseph and Mary, uh, Emma have been married for about uh, three and a half years. They've lost one. Emma has lost her first baby, Alvin, already. Um, and we'll lose uh, more along the way. Hearken unto the voice of your Lord God, while I speak unto you, Emma Smith, my daughter. For verily I say unto you, all those who receive my gospel are sons and daughters in my kingdom. A revelation I give unto you concerning my will. And if thou art faithful and walk in the paths of virtue before me, I will preserve thy life. And thou shalt receive an inheritance in Zion. Behold, thy sins are forgiven. And thou art an elect lady whom I have called. Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen, for they are withheld from thee and from the world, which is wisdom in me in a time to come. And the office of thy calling shall be for a comfort unto thy, to my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., thy husband, in his afflictions, with consoling words in the spirit of meekness. And thou shalt go with him at the time of his going and be unto him for a scribe while there is no one to be a scribe for him that I may send my servant Oliver Cowdery whithersoever I will. And thou shalt be ordained under his hand to expound scriptures and to exhort the church according as it shall be given thee by my spirit. For he shall lay his hands upon thee and thou shalt receive the Holy Ghost and thy time shall be given to writing and to learning much. And thou needest not fear, for thy husband shall support thee in the church, for unto them is his calling, that all things might be revealed unto them, whatsoever I will, according to their faith. And verily I say unto thee, that thou shalt lay aside the things of this world, and seek for the things of a better. And thou needest, excuse me, and it shall be given thee also, to make a selection of sacred hymns as it shall be given thee, which is pleasing unto me to be had in my church. For my soul delighteth in the song of the heart, yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me, and it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. Wherefore, lift up thy heart and rejoice and cleave unto the covenants which thou hast made. Continue in the spirit of meekness and beware of pride. Let thy soul delight in thy husband and the glory which shall come upon him. Keep my commandments continually, and a crown of righteousness thou shalt receive, and except thou shalt do this, where I am, you cannot come. And verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my voice unto all. Amen. So Andrea, would you like to make some comments on this? Well, um, you had specifically asked me to speak about kind of the historical context around 
which something like this addressed to Emma could have happened or how it fit within what was happening. So I've thought a lot about that. And I, when I teach this era, we typically call the second great awakening um, as it leads up to, and then the reform era, abolitionism, et cetera. Um, for me, it's really tempting to focus on 1830 and 31 because there were so many um, events that seem to kind of intersect at that. You have, of course, uh, Charles Grandison Finney and his preaching. I mean, he was in Rochester, New York at the time. And you have um, William Lloyd Garrison is establishing the Liberator, the great abolitionist magazine. Um, and you have Nat Turner having a rebellion, a slave rebellion in 1831. I mean, there's just so many things that are so pivotal in 1830 and 31, even not even considering what was going on in our own church. So when you think about the role of a woman receiving an instruction like this, um, not just about the marital aspect and, and those things that Lisa's going to talk about, but this idea of um, some spiritual empowerment and how does that fit within what was going on. I, I tend to think about um, Finney and his ministry he was already allowing women to pray in public. We were kind of joking about that prior to the meeting starting. And it was, it was actually kind of a relevant question because of this notion of Finney and others introducing the idea of women being able to express themselves spiritually in public and then going on to Oberlin College. And so, I mean, was Emma, was she an exception? Was she a part of the rule? I would say at the time, um, because it wasn't necessarily widespread practice, the kinds of things that Finney was introducing, but it was, so I would consider her more of an exception. I would, I would consider this more of a, of a standout moment, a standout revelation to her. Um, and you can position this, I mean, you see that the revivalism of upstate New York and it's, it's nearness to Palmyra, but also the abolition and the women's rights of Oberlin College being near Kirtland and you see a lot of this neighborliness. I'm not saying that, I mean, there's been a few people, Marvin Hill and Condon Smith and others that have tried to incorporate where the early period of the church fits within the second great awakening at large. Um, and I don't want to get necessarily into that, but there is a lot of, you know, kind of geographical neighborliness to what's going on. And so I see in Emma really being kind of a standout example of, this beginning idea that women can express themselves spiritually, that women can receive some kind of spiritual authority, that women can stand for spiritual authority. And so that's kind of how I would, I would position this in general and my thoughts about where she fits. Thank you. Um, you know, when I read this, uh, one of the thoughts I had and uh, something that Andrea, you pointed out to me previously is this is, I think this is the only revelation given specifically to a woman in the Doctrine and Covenants, and it's given specifically to Emma. And I, I think I'm not alone in having the thought uh, when, I, when I read through it, is this God speaking to Emma? Or is this Joseph speaking to Emma with God in his back pocket because he needed things from her? Um, or is it something in between? 
And the reason I ask this question is because I, in my own life experience, I, I know many good men, many worthy and faithful priesthood holders, um, several of which who have laid hands on me and given me blessings. And at times I have felt a very distinct feeling that this is, this is from God and it came into me and I felt it as a message from God. At other times I have felt um, this message is heavily filtered through this man's life experience <laughs> and, and it doesn't make a, a blessing less meaningful but it, it changes the way it is delivered. And I think too, the way it might be received. So that's just one of the questions that came up when I read this. Um, and um, so that's a question to think about. Uh, and in that light, Lisa, can you just kind of comment on dynamics in a marriage and um, how this might have looked or felt to Emma and how power differentials impact us. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like this um, definitely gives me flashbacks to a lot of clients that I work with who are um, married and there's a real power differential, you know, like often the, you know, like the, the husband is a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, something high powered. Um, he's often quite charismatic, um, well loved in the community. Um and has power because he has that sort of community clout and also because he um, has, you know, like power over the money, right? Like, and he may not use it in the way, like, like I'm going to hold this money over you and not let you have what you want, but everybody kind of knows who's making the money. Right. And, and that makes it difficult for women to assert themselves because they're really in this powerless position of like, if I, um, you know, and often the wives have six, nine children, <laughs> you know, like they have a lot on their plates. Emma had a lot of kids, right? She was taking care of her own kids. She was taking care of other people's kids almost all of the time. Um, and, and it does create a real power differential that is often unspoken and um, unacknowledged between the couple. And that often affects a lot of other things downstream, right? Um, and they often come in with a variety of problems. Like a big one I work with is sexuality, right? Like a lot of, a lot of these women no longer feel a lot of desire <laughs> and their husbands are pretty um, upset about that. And, you know, for men in our culture, they're not given a lot of outlets for their emotional connections. You know, like um, they, they rely on their wives for a lot of their support, for a lot of their emotional support. And they don't necessarily have other people in their lives that they can feel vulnerable with because they are like this power man who is, you know, like got a calling in the ward and they've, right? Um, they People look up to them and they don't feel like a, an ability to feel vulnerable with a lot of people. So they really want their wives to play the role of being their comforter. And, you know, I definitely see that in this, in this um, um, section, right? Like she's being called to be his comforter. And 
wives often tire of that position because they have opinions that differ from their husbands and they have, you know, like agendas that are different than their husbands. And that can often feel like a betrayal to their husbands because you're not comforting me the way I want to be comforted. And I don't have other people in my life who can comfort me. So why aren't you comforting me? You know, and, and that often comes out sexually as well of like, this is how I find comfort and you're not comforting me. Right. And it can be very distressing to the men, but the women also, you know, like, don't know how to have a conversation about how they feel disempowered in the marriage or they don't know how to. And, you know, like through the lens of a 20th century woman who's all like feminist and, um, you know, like independent and like it can be really hard to understand sort of the patriarchal bargains that women make in these contexts. And often they get judged as being weak or as like, you know, like, and, and I see women in my practice definitely doing this of like blaming themselves, like, why am I taking this from him? Or why am I still stuck in this? And yet, you know, like, when you look at the power dynamics, they don't have a lot of choices. And they're actually really quite empowered in the ways that they can be, right? Like in the power that they do have, they're often really quite powerful in the ways that they take care of their families, take care of their business, get the stuff done that they can have power over. Um, and yet still kind of judging themselves for not being able to um, sort of liberate themselves more or whatever. Um, and I don't know, I, that is a power dynamic I still see to this day in the church. And I just see it all over this section, right? Like almost every, almost every verse I'm looking at and I'm like, yep, I see that in these marriages. I see that in these marriages. I see that in these marriages, you know? So it's a dynamic that I just, uh, you know, like it was real then it's real now. And, you know, like, honestly, I think Emma is a, like a super amazing, strong woman who is very, um, aware, I think, of the power she has and the power she doesn't have. And she's actually like in the context, really amazingly powerful. I mean, that's what I see. I thank you for that. Perfect. And um, that's what I felt as I as I researched and read for this lesson. And as I spoke with with various people, Emma had some power and some authority. In fact, she was disliked for it, um, specifically by Brigham Young, who, who did his very best to, to make sure she was uh, exiled, um, metaphorically and in some ways, literally. Um, she was also quite... Um, you know what, Michael, can we look at the slide that has the image of the woman with the corset over her face? <laughs> I I can't remember which slide it is right there. So um, this was written later in Emma's life. This isn't at the time of her, of this revelation. But I think it is representative of how she felt. I um, and this was from dialogue, uh, the wonderful work of um, 
Valine Tippetts, Avery, and uh, Linda King Newell, who, who wrote Mormon Enigma. And these are Emma's words to her son, Joseph Smith III, at the time of uh, the suffrage movement. I am not one of those strong-minded women. I have always found enough to do to fill up all my time in doing just what was very plainly and positively my duty without clamoring for some unenjoyed privilege, which if granted would be decidedly a damage to me and mine. The connotation, um, uh, and then um, Valine goes on to say, <clears throat> or Valine, sorry, I don't know how she pronounces her name. The connotation of strong-minded to Emma was negative, but her self-assessment reflects her cultural view of a woman's place. Emma was strong and her strength came from two main sources, both documented in her own words, her ability to love and her faith in God. That those two things came through so powerfully to me as I worked through um, the, the readings that I did. She was a powerful and loving woman. And I believe that's part of what drew Joseph to her. I believe it's part of what drove her toward Joseph. This is a powerful woman who wanted a man who matched her power and, and who was faithful um, to God. So they were a wonderful match, but she was still um, asked to tone it down in this section. That's the feeling I got, you know, let's not, let's not get too, too far into this and let's make sure you stay um, meek. So that was one of my questions too, is about meekness. And I would like to read a poem that I have lived by since I found it. Uh, the poem is by Mary Carr, um, K-A-R-R. -R. She's a lovely and talented, brilliant Catholic poet. And you can find this by just Googling who the meek are not. It's posted on the Atlantic website. Who the meek are not by Mary Carr. Not the bristle bearded Igors bent under burlap sacks. Not peasants knee deep in the rice paddy muck. Nor the serfs whose quarter moon sickles make the wheat fall in waves they don't get to eat. My friend, the Franciscan nun says, we misread that word meek in the Bible, in the Bible verse that blesses them. To understand the meek, she says, picture a great stallion at full gallop in a meadow who at his master's voice seizes up to a stunned but instant halt. So with the strain of holding that great power in check, the muscles along the arched neck keep eddying and only the velvet ears prick forward, awaiting the next order. So this is something that has stayed with me. This image of meekness being the willingness to take the power that is ours 
and subsume it to God's will. There was another time when meekness was defined for me that has also stayed with me. My oldest child, Lauren, served a mission in Fiji many years ago. And on completion of her mission, I, I took her sister with me um, and we spent uh, 10 days there. We visited people that she had taught and one in particular, and I am ashamed I did not look up the name of this remarkable woman. Fiji, as you may or may not know, is a, a very poor country. And uh, we visited a woman, also a single mother at the time, who lived in a, uh, a shack with a corrugated metal roof and no glass in the windows. And she had created this lovely garden seating area built out of scrap wood outside her door with plants potted in metal cans and other things. And <laughs> I remember thinking, this woman is me. She's me. I live in a bigger house. I have a more elaborate garden. And I, I cherish finding God in outdoor spaces. And her expression of this same love and her love for the gospel in a setting that was very far removed from my life just impacted me in a way that I never forgot. She had shared <laughs> that she had had a vision, a dream of missionaries coming to her. And so when they showed up, she, she recognized them. Anyway, her way of being in the world in an environment where there was very little available to her, and yet she had a, a huge amount of faith and fortitude also was an example of, of meekness to me. So, so when Joseph used this direction to Emma, my 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 gut reaction was he's telling her to to tone it down but i really like to to add this other interpretation of meekness which is a kind of power that's used at the right time and in the right place and i think she did her best to use this power in the right time and the right place uh, Rebecca, if there are any questions that you feel like we want to bring up, um, please feel free to do that. I, I would like to move on just for a moment to the idea of, of music and, and Emma's hymns. And uh, it was really fun to listen to, not just fun, but wonderfully inspiring to listen to Kathy Stokes a couple of weeks ago at Dialogues Gospel Study. She said something during that lesson that was beautiful and that really matched up with what we're talking about as far as music. And if you have an opportunity to search the LDS Church website, there's a lovely video that was created about 
that first hymnal about Emma's place in creating the hymnal. And they, they note that this is an unusual thing to ask a woman to do at the time. As Andrea was mentioning, the, the role of women was being expanded in some circles religiously. I think Joseph was trying to do that. He asked her to do this. And although she did get help from W.W. Um, Phelps, uh, she was in charge of it. And that was highly unusual for the time to have a woman in that role. Michael, can you share the quote from Kathy Stokes about music? I thought this was a beautiful image and a beautiful idea. I believe that congregational singing is like an ordinance of bringing our voices together in different tones. And I believe it strengthens the soul, heals us, uplifts us, does us so much good. It's from Sister Kathy. And as you know, she's a um, wonderfully musically tal talented person, has been in positions of, of music leader for many years off and on throughout the church. Um, I also had ideas about what a choir does. And for those who are familiar with singing in a choir, the practice or in a group of singers, the practice of singing in a group is, is quite interesting and not always easy. And you will have noticed this in your wards and other settings. Some choirs, when you hear them, it's beautiful, resonant, blending, and kind of transcendent. In other choirs, there are people who have very distinctive voices and love to sing and are happy to have their voice very prominent out there. And it, it sometimes doesn't work for the music. And the idea of our opening song of one voice and many voices, and the idea of blending our tones, which is not easy. If you've ever sung in a choir or in a group, you have to listen to everyone around you and pay attention to the subtleties of the voices so that your voice can, can match those around you. And everybody does the same work at the same time to listen to their voice, listen to your voice, match the tones. And when they are well matched, you have a beautiful, beautiful rendition. This is our goal, you know, this is what we want to do as saints. We want to have all the voices. And we want to listen to each individual voice and then bring those together in a way that our song is beautiful. Beautiful to us and beautiful to everyone who hears it. I, I feel like Emma's role in gathering hymns was natural to her because she was a gatherer. She gathered people. She organized well. 
she responded to Joseph's requests in ways that were primarily and for the most part supportive and energetic and loving. One of the things that just struck me as I read her, uh, her letters and other people's words about her at the time was the incredible love she had for Ju Joseph. I mean, she was in love with him and she loved him. And she wanted to do all these things that were asked of her, I believe, in the Doctrine and Covenants. <laughs> and I think she did her best to, to meet the requests of both her husband and of God, regardless of where the, re the request may have been coming from. Melody, I want to bring in a thought from um, one of our listeners on Facebook Live that I think really fits with how you're thinking about meekness and in the context of music and one voice as well. He says, meekness uh, is to achieve power with people, not power over them. And we see, you know, a tension with patriarchy, you know, kind of built against this, but um, uh but then, you know, Emma and, and, and kind of feminist interpretations of meekness pushing against that. Um, some, other, some other really beautiful thoughts uh, reflecting on, on meekness as well. Um, a quote from Elder Neil A. Maxwell, meekness does not oppose boldness. It means to speak up without speaking down. Mm -hmm. And um, someone sharing the Norse origin of meek means soft. Um, the idea of a softness of heart juxtaposed against the hardness of pride in the, in the section. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just last night, as I was kind of going through this lesson and thinking about music also, I'm going to jump back to music for just a minute. This is a well oft repeated story, but it, it kind of came to my mind. So I, I just want to share it. And it's the story of um, the retold by Charles Brewer, the British soldier in World War I about um, Christmas Eve. And the German soldiers um, singing Silent Night. And uh, the British soldiers hearing that and seeing a Christmas tree that, that the Germans had put together right there on the front lines. And um, they sang together. This was not a top-down armistice this was spots along a 500 mile war front where small groups met and joined each other in song. <laughs> it's not a small deal that we are a singing people and that music has been important from the start. It's not a small deal that Emma herself was tasked with collecting this music as a way to bring us together in our own 
spots wherever we are, we can meet here in music. So those are my thoughts on the importance of that original hymnal. Now, um, I'm trying to pay attention to time. I would like to share with you uh, a few of these words that came through in the chat. And forgive me, we had a wonderful response in that chat um, about Emma Smith. And I wrote down some of them. I had time to write down some. I don't want to leave anyone out because it was remarkable and beautiful. And I will probably just create a document out of it um, and share it later. But low tech, <laughs> I'm going to show you some of what came through. Um, and I'm assuming this is right side to you. Okay. Just let you read for a moment. I underestimated the time I would need. <laughs> I could have used a longer song, just a few more. I did this exercise with, by email, um, with some of my friends and family. I sent out the same query to 33 people. Uh, 21 responded. I think there were five men and 16 women. And I, I crafted a poem from this. It's essentially a list poem, but, but I'm calling it a communal assemblage poem with 21 voices. And Michael, if you wouldn't mind pulling up this slide, I'd like to read this poem. And then I would like to um, wrap up with a couple of other slides. Emma. Ghost lady, anguished, left behind, her place misplaced. Foundational, restorational woman vessel, hands cupped, receiving keys. Hero, womb woman, 11 babies lost and found. Misunderstood, mother, mother of a movement, charity, never fails her community of faith. Wrapped in resolute ringlets, a steadfast skirt full of pages in pockets, broken blessings. Emma, elect, prophet bound, shining example kept in the dark, loving, long-suffering, vulnerable, brave, scribe, circumscribed, rewritten, misinterpreted, erased. Regal, grand, true, a flower blooming at night, Zion bound, her blue heart, 
beating its wings. These are words from all of us about Emma. We have learned about Emma primarily from other people's accounts of her because she didn't keep a journal. More than once I have heard um, Claudia Bushman <laughs> talk about the importance of recording our lives. And um, Michael, if you have that quote, I'd like to um, remind us of this. Someone will tell the story of your life when you're gone. It really should be you. It's important for us to record things that are meaningful to us so that when someone looks at our life in the future, looking back, they'll know who we are. And again, in that same light, I'd like to end with Emma's words. Um, first, the slide um, with the sketch of Emma. And I apologize, these aren't necessarily in order. So thank you, Michael. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge my, my niece, um, Brennan Carmen, who when I asked, if she would <laughs> do a rendering of Emma, she did. And I think it's beautiful. Um, not only would Emma's perceptions of early church history be valuable, uh, be a valuable record from one uniquely placed to record it, she was herself a force to be reckoned with, not only from her relationship to Joseph, but because of her own loving nature and strong faith. Again, that's from Dialogue. And then Emma's words in the blessing that she had asked Joseph if he could offer prior to going to Carthage. You've heard this before, but I think it's really lovely to end with her own words and with her image as she was, um, having lived through the life she did. Joseph said, if you will write the blessing, when I return, I will sign it. And uh, it's a beautiful blessing. And these are the words. First of all, that I would crave as the richest of heaven's blessings would be wisdom from my heavenly father bestowed daily. So that whatever I might do or say, I would not look back at the close of the day with regret, nor neglect the performance of any act that would bring a blessing. I desire the spirit of God to know and understand myself, that I might be able to overcome whatever tradition or nature that would not tend to my exaltation in the eternal worlds. I desire a fruitful active mind, that I may be able to comprehend the designs of God when we've re revealed through his servants without doubting. I desire the spirit of discernment, which is one of the blessings of the Holy Ghost. I particularly desire wisdom to bring up all the children that are or may be committed to my charge in such a manner that they will be useful ornaments in the kingdom of God. And in the coming day, rise up and call me blessed. I desire prudence 
that I may not through ambition abuse my body and cause it to be prematurely old and careworn, but that I may wear a cheerful, cheerful countenance, live to perform all the work I covenanted to perform in the spirit world and be a blessing to all who may be in any wise need aught at my hands. I desire with all my heart to honor and respect my husband as my head, to ever live in his confidence and by acting in unison with him, to retain the place which God has given me by his side. I desire to see my kindred and friend embrace the principles of eternal truth, that I may rejoice with them in the blessings which God has in store for all who are willing to be obedient to his requirements. Finally, I desire that whatever may be my lot through life, I may be enabled to acknowledge the hand of God in all things. Who wouldn't love this blessing for themselves? And who can deny the power of that blessing? I believe Emma is and was a, a remarkable and central character, a woman, a real woman, who gives us an example of working toward true equity, true equality, and authority alongside her husband. Thank you so much for being here. And if you'd like to stay a bit, we can have a little more discussion. And I'd like to close in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Melody. Uh, I think we'll go ahead and incorporate a little bit of our discussion into the official lesson and um, you know, leave some additional um, for later. But I'm reflecting on this blessing and then what we have in Doctrine and Covenants section 25. And I'm struck by um, this kind of juxtaposition of imagining Emma's desires versus what Joseph Smith desires and that being you know, the official blessing. Um, and I'm also thinking about uh, your niece's beautiful um, uh, drawing and the words that have been shared by uh, folks attending today and thinking about how Emma has been rendered um, and not rendered um, and, and why and, and what that says about what we need. Um, anyway, those are some of my thoughts. Is You know, I, my feeling is, and I suppose if I researched enough, I would find more evidence um, beyond this, this revelation in particular. Again, a revelation which I'm not 100% sure how much is God's word and how much is Joseph's word. Um, but I do feel that there was movement toward empowerment of women and Emma being the, the type and the original, at least for us as um, Latter-day Saints and those that came from this, this era. And I, I would like to ask and encourage um, the men who are present to, to 
revisit again the blessing of, of being a man who is ordained and who is offered leadership roles that allow for a lot of power within the church. I would like to ask the men among us, good men, to continue to work toward quieting your own ideas and inquiring of women more, and not just inquiring of them, but moving them into the front so that women's voices are more readily and more frequently heard. And this is not an easy task, I know. Many women, in context even of ordination, many women are fine without it. I felt that quote from Emma was very interesting when she was talking about suffrage, saying that, you know, I, I can get things done that I need to get done without that. Um, again, Kathy Stokes kind of said the same thing a couple of weeks ago. She's like, women get things done. I don't necessarily need to do that. I don't need to be ordained. That is one voice in our community, that idea. There are other voices that see tremendous value in an actual ordination of women to the priesthood. And those voices are also legitimate. And it's, I think it's really important that we listen and tune to each other and we'll end up with something really good. It's gonna take a long time to get to where I would like things to be, I think, but but it's really worth the effort. And men have a very big role to play in this. Women do a lot of hard work. Um, <laughs> and it would be really nice to have men making way, you know, just making way for things to happen. I hope I'm not out of line for asking that. <laughs> and again, None of this is new for many of us, but it's it's sure lovely to revisit it and to, to have a conversation. Let's see if so that. some comments from, <clears throat> from attendees. Uh, Emma feels like the patron saint of all who have been hurt by religious institutions that they loved and devoted themselves to. Um, many of us find her very relatable. Uh, uh, a question, I'm curious to know why, some thoughts on why this revelation was chosen to be included in the Book of Commandments. Um, was it controversial? What, what does it suggest to us? That's really interesting. I my supposition is that it was rather controversial. And it is interesting that the revelation itself includes a reassurance to Emma that she's going to be safe, that God is going to protect her, her husband will protect her. And um, this is needed. This is needed. Uh, when women are empowered in a setting where men are the leaders, they often need protection at least initially. And, you know, I wish it weren't so. But Emma was 
uh, was a powerful woman. She had people who were angry with her, even at the time, who felt she was out of line for directing Joseph in the way she's, she did, for, for truly becoming an equal partner with him. I, I think she really felt that. She felt the equality of their partnership. And she was clearly, the, the sorts of things she did and managed in their marriage, it, <laughs> she did a lot. Talk about the second shift, you know, I mean, <laughs> she did a lot. And um, I, I wish I had the references in front of me, but there were, there were times when she was threatened, um, not just by Brigham Young either. You know, there were, there were people that were very angry and upset. So that was a really good question, Penny. Thanks for asking that, that um, might it have been controversial at the time. I think it probably was. So good for Joseph for doing that. Let me ask a follow-up question that comes from the chat talking about really thinking about current year, current day sister missionaries. And the question starts with, um, is that going to change the church? Is that going to change roles and understandings about what women can do by having larger numbers of sister missionaries return? And that's a, I, I mean, I, we could start with that question, but I'd like to take it back to um, what if you think of Section 25 as, as a blessing and a call to, to exhort the church to teach the scriptures um, as, as Emma was, at least in, in section, in, in verse seven that I often focus on myself when I'm reading this section. Um, but if you read section 25 as a, as a direction or the blessing to a, a modern day sister missionary, where would that where, reflect on that? Let me just add in a comment that I think in some ways goes along with that from, from Facebook um, that identifies, you know, hymns and music as defining a people's theology often more so than ecclesiastical authority. And that this is, you know, the work that, that Emma sets out to do. Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading another message. Um, okay. Forgive me. Can you restate what the question was? <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea of. Thinking, thinking about, or do you want to just comment on it, Chris? Do you want to just comment on that? I <laughs> no, he's making face. <laughs> no, I want you to comment on it. I the question was, um, I put it in brief. Thinking about current day sister missionaries, which is one of the places where women have in twenty twenty one have a calling that looks something like what is in section 25. Um, what if you think of section 25 as, as a blessing and a calling to current day sister missionaries? How does that feel? What does that think? What does that feel like? I think that's a great idea. It still has the same problems today with sister missionaries as in my mind it might've had with Emma which is uh, there's, a, there's a lovely 
exhortation to to uh, expound scriptures, to teach, to learn, to translate, to use the Holy Ghost to 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 do these things, which is our own our own um, sense of personal empowerment often comes from the Holy Spirit. And and the trouble is, can can they do it the way they want to do it? And will they be valued for doing it the way they want to do it? If, if it's uh, a little bit too assertive or too powerful, will it still be accepted? Will sister missionaries still be accepted in capacities where they are asked to lead? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a piece of the whole puzzle, but I think that's a beautiful idea. I think so it's you're a, called to exhort, uh, but also be meek. Um. And then we can look to well, Emma, and if meekness is for kind of the the answer, the response to that, right? And the trajectory sure. of her life, and the Franciscan nuns, you know, we said meekness might might not be exactly what we what we call it. And um, we might be using the word meekness to, to silence people or gaslighting. So. Amen. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, close the official kind of section and we can continue the conversation. Um, but let me close with an invitation to join us for next Sunday's Dialogue Fireside with Terrell Givens at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And again, in two weeks, Sunday, March 28th, when we'll have a little bit of a different setup for Dialogue Gospel Study, uh, but it will include a live conversation with Restoration Pioneer, um, our dear brother, uh, Darius Gray. Uh, we'll have music and then prayer.
Our kind Father in heaven, we're grateful for this opportunity we've had to be together today via Zoom and across many um, cities and states and communities. We're grateful to be a community of saints that are welcomed into this dialogue community to think and worship and consider and pray together. We are grateful for Melody and this beautiful lesson that she's provided for us about section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the one addressed to our great mother, Emma Smith. We are grateful for Emma, for her faithfulness and devotion and her love and service, for her nurturing and her ministering. Help us to learn to serve like Emma did, to be meek like she was, to love like Emma, to endure like Emma, and even to resist like Emma. Help us to look for ways that God speaks to women in the scriptures, in modern and personal revelation. Help us to expand the channels of God revealing his will to women, to each of us. Help us to seek ways to follow Christ in our thoughts and actions, to include and welcome all of God's children into the loving embrace of our community of saints. We seek to have hearts at peace in our turbulent world. We love thee and offered our renewed commitment as disciples of Christ to keep our covenants and to serve all of our sisters and brothers. And this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts.